Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. As we gear up for award season, there's no better time to join us. By becoming a Vanity Fair subscriber, you'll gain exclusive access to our in-depth coverage of film, television, and the best of Hollywood. And that's just the beginning. Vanity Fair takes you inside the worlds of entertainment, culture, politics, and scandal, bringing you iconic images, era-defining stories, and much more. Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here just with Vanity Fair's film critic Richard Lawson. Hello, it's just the two of us. Yeah, we're uh, holding down the fort while uh, Mike and Joanna go off on their various adventures. They're stumping for Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, knocking on doors Swing in states. Pennsylvania. Okay, so it's just you and me, but uh, you might be able to say that our third host is Isabel Huppert. In all things, in yeah. life, in general. We'll be, uh, we'll be sharing your interview with her. She stars in Elle, which is directed by Paul Verhoeven, and she yeah. has another film out this season, so She's yeah, things to come, which is really good too. So two very different movies, but we talked a little bit about that. But yeah, she was fun. You yeah, know, it was just a little phone interview. But um, I got her to talk about cats, which I was excited. That's about. what the internet wants to hear about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we get to that, there's various bits of news to talk about. Uh, some new developments in both the best animated feature and acting races, specifically about foreign language performances, like mm-hmm. Isabel Huppert's. Before we get to any of that, a couple movies coming out this week. Neither of us have seen Hexar Ridge, which is Mel Gibson's. That's uh, right. I will have movie. seen it by the time this goes up, and there might be. A review on the site too okay but you know it got great reviews out of venice so yeah i was trying to figure yeah. out where the buzz for this started venice i think the tenor of the reviews that i read from there i try not to read a lot before i see a movie but like was kind of like surprise mm-hmm. they were like oh mel gibson and it's like no because he's always made movies that are robust and kind of yeah visually. They, they grab people for sure yeah. well yeah because they're super violent yeah. and you know so I don't know. I'm very curious about it. It feels like it's coming out at a strange time, like the Friday before an election, you know, a huge election. It just feels like maybe it might get a little lost. But we'll and see. against uh, Doctor Strange, which yeah. is uh, the huge Marvel movie that's yeah. opening this which, week. Yeah, which is also, and it's, you know, it's odd that they're kind of going up against each other because it feels like their audiences overlap at least somewhat. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you know, for people who don't like superheroes, you can go see Hexar Ridge. and then Real heroes. Goes, yeah, there you go, American heroes, yeah. played by British Andrew Garfield. <laughs> right. You did see Doctor Strange. Yeah. I don't know that anyone ever thought there was going to be an Oscar play for this. Marvel movies so far have not really crossed that Rubicon, but it does have Benedict Cumberbatch in it. It does, and Tilda Swinton. And Tilda Swinton, yeah. um, In quite a big part. And then, you know, and Tilda, as she always is, is great, but that part is so kind of it's an Asian character in the comic books and there's been a lot of you know understandable outcry because they just completely whitewashed it and cast Tilda Swinton yeah, although it was an know. Asian character written in a time when you know you could have the wise Asian sage and well, right. rely on a stereotype yeah. from yeah. what I understand and so maybe they thought that they were going to kind of uh, get past that, you know, by casting just this kind of lauded actor. But yeah, I mean, it, it does stand out a little bit like, ugh, you know, yeah. it's a diverse cast kind of further down the bill. But um, we got uh, yeah. Chiwetel Ejiofor, Benedict mm-hmm. Wong. Yeah, Benedict Wong. Yeah, so they're the kind of the two big supporting guys. And Ejiofor, 
you kind of watch the movie and you're like, why is he in this? And then at the very end, you're like, oh, I oh, see. it's one of those things where like in Doctor Strange two, he gets yeah. to be okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. like in the first Iron Man where you have Terrence Howard uh, eventually replaced by Don Cheadle, and you're like, right. oh, you're just the friend. Oh no, you get to be a superhero next right. time. I yeah, see. it's a it's a, it's a slightly different twist for Edge of Four, but yeah, I mean, it's a similar kind of like it's, you know, stay tuned for more Edge of Four in mm. you know. I don't know. I'll be curious to see how the film opens, like how it how it does at the it's box office. It's tracking well, yeah. so because it's really. I mean, it's they mention the Avengers at one point, but beyond that, I mean, it's a it's like magic and dimensional travel. I mean, it's 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 more out there than Thor, even in some ways. It feels very far afield of a lot of the other kind of core Avengers Marvel properties. So we'll see, you know, how it does. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was the same way, and it did great. So yeah, and uh, Doctor Strange and everyone associated with it will presumably be in the big mega Avengers movie that's coming up. You know, with right. all the Guardians people, and it's all moving to the same infinity point. And There's just going to be like a five hour movie where it's just all of them right like in like 2022 20, or there's something. some poster going around with like all the art from the various posters mashed up so you oh see all God. the characters in the same frame and it kind of gives me hives just thinking yeah. about all these people and so many oscar nominees like all in one place who will get two minutes of screen time. just imagine all the trailers lined up you know <laughs> just as far as the eye can see stretching yeah. into the horizon yeah. uh and then real quick i don't know if you've actually seen trolls but uh you had quite the encounter with trolls at can i haven't seen trolls i mean i wrote and directed it obviously yes um but I haven't seen it yet. No, I, we went, Julian Miller and I went to the Trolls presentation at Cannes. We wrote a fun post from that. So I've seen clips of it. I haven't seen the film. Actually, I don't even, I didn't get a screening invitation. I got one of the ones that's like for it to bring your kids on a Saturday morning, I think. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's definitely been very hyped, like by the studio. Well, that and, song was like yeah. the head of the summer. Yeah. And it's Justin Timberlake, Anna Kendrick, who, you know, the internet loves. And so it has buzz around it that makes sense. But it's intellectual property. It's IP that we can remember from mm-hmm. the Trolls craze of the 90s, which was itself a rebirth from the 70s. And yeah. I wonder how kids now, if they have any kind of institutional knowledge of the Troll dolls, yeah, or if it doesn't matter. I, I mean, they're big and cute and colorful. Yeah. And, you know, I saw a bunch of minions in my neighborhood for Halloween. So And they kind of, yeah, they're kind of similar to minions, although they do speak. And sing. Oh, yeah, they sing. They sing true colors. <laughs> I've seen that. And then, and then, yeah, so we're sort of at a, a quiet point for children children's films this season so this yeah. might be like a big well it's this spike. and then moana kind of coming down yeah like, like around thanksgiving right? yeah well yeah. this actually leads into uh one of the other things i want to talk about which is the uh, for your consideration package i received for sausage party in the mail which ah, i believe yes. all, you've also received well i received an email so um i i got into the new york film critics circle congratulations um, thank you um which was really exciting and so you know we're gonna vote on our awards our awards um you know, it feels like still it's their thing that I'm just sort of interloping in. But, You'll be an insider um, in no time. Uh, in early December. And so I got an email saying, dear New York Film Critics Circle member, we're pleased to invite you to see Sausage Party on the big screen. Mm-hmm. So there are all these screening options at the Sony screening room and the Flatiron. Which, you know, it's funny. I should go see it because people did like it. But are we really thinking that that's an awards play? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I my sense. So I'm in the Broadcast Film Critics Association, which doesn't vote quite as early as New York Film Critics, but similarly large group. And I got a, uh, a T-shirt in the mail that had a ballot box. It said Democratic Party, Republican Party, Sausage Party. And Sausage Party was oh, checked. Oh, that's so. clever. Yeah, but voting third party this year. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now yeah. is not the time. <laughs> no, no. But I think their thinking is that, you know, you have Pixar had a sequel out this year. You know, usually they run the table on Best Humanity Feature. But Finding Dory, I think, was well liked. That's right. Isn't yeah. something that anyone's going to really push for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Moana is likely to be a big heavy hitter, you know, yeah. Frozen style coming late in the year. And then Zootopia was kind of a big 
push earlier in the year. But then, you know, you look at, you know, there's Kubo and the Two Strings, which was well-liked, but not very many people saw it. Critically liked, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's just, and then Trolls is out there somewhere, but there's five slots in there, like, why not Sausage Party? And I, I, in terms of awards consideration, I really should, I have to recuse myself on Trolls, because again, I did write and direct it. So, for me, Zootopia, like, I don't see a ton of animated films, like, I see them when I need to see them to write about, but... I thought it was great. Yeah, and it's I, really I, stuck out. I caught it when I was on maternity leave, and I really liked it. I think it. it's. I mean, it's. I think one of my favorite movies of the year. So I would be rooting for that. I think it has a nice social message, and mm-hmm. it's really well, cleverly done. Moana, when they released a couple years ago now, some kind of concept art for it that was very painterly and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I got really excited because I thought it might be sort of a return to the the animated musicals that I grew up watching. You know, in the early '90s, late '80s, and then I saw the trailer. You know, whenever it came out, and it. The look of it isn't quite as lush as I wanted it to be. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a modern CG animated movie. Yeah, and I love Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I think he's a fun actor, and, you know, I I like his movie star presence. Yeah. um, He's kind of a nice throwback to the Arnold, Sylvester Stallone days, but there was a clip of him singing a song. Oh, he's not a singer. No. No. (laughs) I think even he might agree he's not a singer, but, you know, Rex Harrison was in My Fair Lady. It worked out fine for him. That's true. But, yeah, I think I'm seeing that next week, Moana, so I... Yeah, Yeah, it has, like, the momentum building behind of any Disney movie coming at this time yeah. of year. It's got Limo and Miranda doing the song, so you kind of can never right. count that guy out. That's a big asset when you're promoting the film and, you know, if they can trot him out and have him perform. You're right. That's that's a big thing. So I hope it does well for one big reason in that, like, it's about a demographic of people, Pacific Islanders, who, who we don't tend to have is this leads in Is it a specific country? I've honestly not even watched the trailer. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think it is. Like a fictional Pacific Island? That's what it seems to me. But, you know, that's like to have, you know, and it's voiced by actual people from that part of the world, you know, so yeah. something's right. Oh, it's set front. in Polynesia. Oh, it is. Okay. So that's kind of a... A real place. <laughs> well, it is, but it's also a huge swath. Of, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I, you know, for that reason alone, like, sure, like I'm rooting for it. Yeah. So, you know, when you have something like Sausage Party trying to crash in that field, I think that's a classic thing you see over a year where someone late in the year will be like, oh, well, there's, the, there's a window here. So why not right. give it a shot? I, I feel like that's going to happen in Best Actor, yeah. which as we talked about is not nearly as stacked as it is usually like yeah i think sully might come swoop back around yeah someone and... asked actually asked me about sully i had met up with a friend recently and, and he was like what about what about sully and i said you know honestly it could there is some some space for it to sneak in and i think that hanks is one of them especially yeah. now that he did like david pumpkins and everyone loves him you know like <laughs> and he dresses david pumpkins for halloween apparently. yeah like so he's he's kind of like hip right now again yeah um, so. or like i got a screener yesterday for captain fantastic which is the vigo mortensen movie right. that opened in the summer i yeah. think and uh, mike i think mentioned it last week he saw it on a plane and loved it yeah and i think things like that those kinds of discoveries at this point in the year like people with smaller movies can really count on that and there are probably a couple like, i think hell or high water is a big mm-hmm. one that's kind of counting on that like for a bridges nomination or a screenplay or maybe even best picture and i think we'll start to get a picture of that pretty soon you know um yeah. the new york film critics we're going to vote on december 1st which is pretty soon oh my god you have a month to see everything i feel such an immense pr- i have this <laughs> st- kind of virtual stack of you know screener links mm-hmm. to documentaries that i just have to oh burn through because I, I don't want to be irresponsible and not have seen yeah. you know as much as i can see before i vote and so it's like you know the next few weekends are going to be just you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's stuff I'm excited to see, like Camera Person and Fire at Sea, that are supposed to be great. So, yeah, you know. I'll be going to the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards in Brooklyn tomorrow, and oh, okay. uh, I am a member of the group that voted on them, but I recused myself because I had not seen. Yeah, I've seen Thirteenth and OJ Made America, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have a lot to yeah. share in a couple I mean, weeks. We, all of a sudden, we're finding ourselves at kind of at the end of the year, and it's like, oh crap! Yeah, it's I November. So much, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. 
Uh, well, to talk about stuff that uh, you have seen at least, kind of in honor of your Isabel Huppert interview, we are going to look at foreign language performances and acting categories, yeah. which, you know, you think to yourself like, oh, how do you win an Oscar for a performance in another language? But it's relatively common, at least to get nominated. You know, in the last couple yeah. of years, there's a lot of examples that come to mind. Yeah. I mean, I you know, Marion Cotillard and Jean Dujardin for, mm-hmm. for the artist. Emmanuel Riva was nominated for Amour. Yeah, Christoph so, Waltz uh, yeah, spoke yeah. French and German and English and right. uh, Glorious Bastards. Right. And that seems to be, you know, like nominally English language films are films made by English speaking directors, mm-hmm. but that have a kind of foreign performance yeah. in them. Yeah, Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina uh-huh. Barcelona. Right, exactly. Where it gets rarer is a non Western European mm-hmm. foreign language performance. You know, The Handmaiden is one of, I think, you know, one of the best reviewed movies of the year, the Park Chan Wook movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a great twisty kind of sexy erotic thriller that was big at Cannes that's where I saw it and Kim Min Hee who plays not the handmaiden but the sort of devious rich girl who the handmaiden becomes involved with is so good in that movie and I wish that she had more of a push yeah Yeah. Um, and I was looking just kind of as curious you know it's not surprising exactly but it's pretty disappointing that the academy has a really not great history with nominating Asian actors. Yeah. You know, in 1957, uh, which is, you know, pretty soon after World War II, a Japanese actress named Miyoshi Umeki won for a film called Sayonara. Many years later, uh, Hang S. Ngor for The Killing Fields won in 84, and he was nominated also with Pat Morita for Karate Kid. And they were both nominated for supporting actor that year, but it's been pretty spotty. You know, Ken Watanabe for, but again for a for a movie made an by Ed's Wick Ed's movie. Wick, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rinko Kikuchi in uh, Babel, yeah. which again is a... well, well, you know, in, in a kind of very international cast and director, but yeah, but yeah. So I I was noticing that, and you know, it's too bad because there's a lot in Asian cinema that's happening right now that's really exciting and great performances yeah. and it seems to be pretty spottily recognized. Well, and I think in, even in best foreign language film categories, like you get yeah. you know, a really heavy uh, Western European bias. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of French stuff, a lot of Italian stuff. But, you know, that said, I think that this year, I don't know, I think the best foreign language films I've seen are French and German. Mm. You know, French, you have L and Things to Come. Mm-hmm. Both have Isabelle Huppert, who I think, do you think she's going to get a nomination? I mean, Best Actress is famously competitive, as we keep talking about, but it is kind of Emma Stone, Natalie Portman, and Nat Benning deadlocked in the top three. And then there seems to be a lot of room. Right. Like now that, as we discussed last week, Viola Davis is going to be supporting, like that. she's not a huge name who's competing there. So people are putting Ruth Negga in there. Loving actually opens this week. I feel like right. we've been talking about it forever, but you saw yeah. it back at Cannes. Yeah. Uh, so she's kind of a contender for Best Actress. Yeah, and, and I then, think she's that movie's best hope too yeah i think uh you know she's been kind of tipped as a rising star for a while like she's on preacher so you know everyone's kind of waiting for her to really step up but then past that i mean you have amy adams and arrival meryl streep and florence foster jenkins I mean they're perennial yeah. contenders so they could get in there and then after that i mean they, who knows yeah i mean i saw miss sloan with jessica chastain last week and i actually moderated a panel chastain wasn't there but with the director john madden and it's a solid kind of chewy political thriller mm-hmm. and she's great in it but i don't know if it's quite you know prestige enough yeah. but you know there are a lot of kind of potential for four and fives and i i would hope that who pair I don't know. I think she should sneak in. She's had a remarkable year. So Well, I mean, you look at the Emmanuel Riva example where she yeah. had this performance where everyone's like, oh, well, she's the old lady in the French movie, but then it just stuck around and people kept talking about it. And Huppert is a you know, legend at this point. Yeah. So yeah. she can kind of like ride that wave of being like, yes, okay, let's honor this person who we've yeah. liked for a long time. I mean, no knock to Meryl Streep, but you know, in other parts of the world, Huppert really is regarded as the best actress in the world. Yeah, and she's yeah. never been nominated for an Oscar. No. So that, no. that's the kind of narrative that you get to bring yourself into this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, 
Uper is kind of famously, you know, she's a French movie star. She's a little bit hard to read. She yeah. can be a little prickly. She doesn't um, need this shit. No. So I'm, I'd be curious to see if she would campaign. I have a suspicion she would. Well, she did, uh, I mean, doing an interview with this podcast. Obviously, yeah. everyone in the Academy she, is listening well, to it. Well, of so. course. But, she, you know, she stooped to talk to Lily all this. But <laughs> I would love to see her kind of doing all the, the luncheons and the, you know, know, the, know, the sort of God. circuit would be really interesting. Yeah. Leading into your interview with her, what should people know about Ellen Things to Come? I think that they're two very great kind of iconic Hooper performances, but they're so different. And mm-hmm. Elle is this really tricky thriller drama about sex. And she would argue it's not about rape. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to trust her interpretation of the film. But there is rape involved in the film. And, and it's, you know, about gender. And, and it's really tough and kind of hard to watch at points. Whereas Things to Come, this Mia Hansen Love film, Mia Hansen Love is one of my favorite directors right now. She made Eden, which I loved mm-hmm. last year, the DJ movie. And it's, you know, it's about a woman kind of late in life uh, finding herself alone and figuring out, you know, with her, she's a grown son and just trying to figure out how life works in your 50s or 60s when mm-hmm. um and it's very it's gentle in its way yeah. and so it's a they're, they're nicely juxtaposed those two performances so but it seems like l is the one that kind of puts her in the oscar race well yeah things to come was at berlin back in february but you know l at Cannes made a huge splash it was the last film that screened there it's been kind of controversial right yeah and i think that you know the more i'm curious to see if more american kind of critics and writers see it I'm anticipating the kind of deluge of think pieces. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. going to be as much as if the movie was in English because it, it's it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess this is a good time to go to your interview with Isabelle Huppert. A rotor. I took it on the vif. He was accroupi in a bus in trying to observe your house. He was approached. He filed it all the Hello. Hi, Isabelle. This is Richard. How are you? Yes, hello, Richard. I'm fine, thank you. So I wanted to start by just congratulating you on this incredible year you're having um, with these two <laughs> these two remarkable films. Did you know that these were going to be coming out in the same year when you were making them, or was it a pleasant surprise? Oh, uh, yes, because I did them uh, about the same time. I did Elle first, last year ago, and then a few months later we did uh, Things to Come. Right. But of course, yes, at the time I did them, uh, I had no idea they were going to be released at around the same time in the U.S. And it was an exciting run from the winter into the spring with Things to Come being at Berlin and then L at Cannes. Yes, and they keep running, they keep chasing each other because now both teams are uh, at the New York Film Festival and uh, they were both at the Toronto Film Festival. So, yeah, that's nice. How important are these film festivals to movies like this, whether they're, you know, foreign language films or sort of more art house films? Do you think that these festivals serve a very necessary purpose? It is very important. I mean, these films, yes, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say they, they, they thrive on festivals, but I mean, especially prestigious festivals like New York, which really give indications about films' qualities, and it's very, very important. We're very happy to be here. Yeah, it's a great showcase, and it's in a beautiful part of the city, so it's exciting. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting sort of backstory with the film, L in that it's based on a French novel, but an American screenwriter originally wrote the screenplay, and my understanding is he, uh, he shifted it to New York, but then it got shifted back to Paris because Verhoeven's thinking was that this was a very French story and could only really be told by French filmmakers and performers. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, it's more or less the story. Yes, that it started in France, and then the, at some point, yes, there was uh, the perspective to do it in the U.S., but I don't think it was for long. And then they finally decided to do it in French, which makes the French book by the French writer with French actors, and 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 Paul is is not French, of course, but he's deeply European and deeply Dutch, <laughs> even though he's been 
a lot of time in in the states. Uh, he was completely in, in tune with, and also you know, uh, Philip Jones' writing was always known for also being a little bit American sometimes in a certain way, uh, with a great sense of rhythm. And I mean, there is something that really blurs the borders in uh, Philip Jones' writing in Verhoeven's. Uh, uh, we're doing movies. Uh, only I am very French, let's say. And I think the the whole identity of the film is completely accurate in the film. You know, I mean, you, don't, you forget about the fact that it's French writing with a Dutch writer. It's uh, it's just a great film. That's it. I mean, you know, sometimes when you when you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I mean, it doesn't operate so well. But in that case, everything is perfect, completely in tune. There's a, a real riskiness to some of the subject matter. I mean, you know, it's a it's about rape, it's about sexuality. Now that you've been to these different festivals in different countries promoting the film, have you noticed, is there a response to it in France that's different from the response here in the States? I mean, obviously we have different attitudes, but has it been a noticeable difference? Well, I was, you know, in a way, it, 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 and then quite, quite surprisingly, it's the same type of and a response all over, and that's uh, the really the good surprise for us, for Kovarovan and myself. Uh, we 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 thought there would be more, let's say, controversy, and it's. I think that most of the time, whether it is in France or wherever we went, and we we were in London last week, and uh, now we're coming to the states, but we had a little idea of how the movie is going to be uh, received here, and uh, uh, people seem really to get the film where it is, which is. In a very peculiar place. I mean, you you were just saying it's about it's a film about rape, and uh, it's precisely not about rape. I would say because the rape is like almost a non-event in the woman's life, you know, and it's a very peculiar angle to take rape. So I don't think it's a movie about rape, and people seem to perfectly get it and perfectly understand it and perfectly to understand the the kind of you know everything is kind of blurred. Nothing is. Has to be taken on account. Also, you, you, it is a comedy. It is not only a comedy. It is not just a comedy, but it is a comedy. It is a black comedy, and you have to take the, you know, the the word comedy in the in the most the most classical sense of the word. You know, in the, it's a human comedy, and almost everywhere people really seem to get it. You know, so it's a very nice surprise, and that's the strength of the film, and that means the film is completely. I wouldn't say successful yet, but completely um, well done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious for you, when you were given the material and, and you were considering doing the project, was there any one particular kind of theme or argument or idea that jumped out at you as something you said, I want to help communicate this? Was there something that was that mattered most to you? Well, it's no, it's just the fact that it's a complete portrait of a woman. It is, And it's a complete portrait of a non-existing woman, and that's why, I mean, this is something I, I might have found out on the way in the course of the events as I was doing it. Of course, it was not in theory so clear to me, just like an intuition. But uh, the, the the reason why it was so exciting is that it's almost like a prototype of a new woman. I would I would call it almost a post-feminine, post-feminist uh, concept, you know, of a woman, in the sense that uh, she's not a victim, she's but she's not also the classical. Uh, Avenger Revenger of a of a revenge film. She doesn't. It's not like she was taking the guns and shoot the guy. You know, it's 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 a, it's a different space. It's a different. That's why I'm saying it's a it's almost a non-existing 
um, uh, character before. She's a new person. It's always exciting to define a new person. I think that people relate to that very, very strongly. Yeah, and I think, you know, with your character um, being the head of this cutting-edge video game company, here in the States, there's been a lot of controversy in the past few years about women in video games and not just their characters in the games, but actually the people who make the games. In Elle, it feels very deliberate that that's the industry that she works in with such command. So, I mean, it is, you're right, a kind of a workplace comedy, and that was sort of the approach when making it. Yes, and you know the fact that she runs the video game company is, is is interesting also because this is where my maybe it's only in virtuality in these virtual uh, games that men have a certain power, a certain situation. But in reality, men are all you know weak and mediocre and uh, and failures. And uh, so it's a, it's a the movie about a woman, but it's also by default. A film about men, you know, men's failures. Yeah, absolutely. Except in video games. <laughs> That's <laughs> the only place where they win. Right. They have to disappear into virtual reality to, to, to win. Right. Yeah. There are a couple intense scenes. The movie opens with a, a very scary home invasion and rape. Is there anything that frightened you about filming that? Or were you just kind of felt like you were in command of it and were in good hands and in Verhoeven's hands? I was very good in very good hands. I mean, all those scenes were not difficult to do. I mean, they were very prepared and very technical. And I was in complete trust with Paul. I mean, there was nothing really, not to say embarrassing, but not even, you know, scary or whatever. And again, you know, it's one, it's almost like an epiphenomenon in the film, you know, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one non-even among other non-events. And this is what is really interesting about this woman. I mean, she takes everything as non-events. You know, she, she goes through this with no apparent emotional bearings, you know, of all these uh, circumstances that she has to come across, you know, you know, the failure of the son, the failure of the ex-husband, who is a failing writer, and uh, all men's figures, again, are completely diminished and diminutive. And for her, these are non-events for her. Maybe because she's a survivor, maybe because she's a survivor from her childhood, from her past, or she, she managed to build up a kind of personality which yes, gives her that distance, that strength. And the miracle is that at the end of the day, having said that, um, it seems to me that the movie is quite, in a way, touching. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And this is one of two very strong women you're playing this year, and so the other is Things to Come, which on the surface level wouldn't seem to have a lot in common, but I think there are parallels there. What kind of common threads between the two films do you see? Oh, yes, they have a lot of uh, in common. Of course, those are completely different people. One is a philosophy teacher, and the other one is a power woman, you know, running a video game company. But beyond this, um, yeah, there are some fictional elements that, you know, uh, cast a, a bridge between the two films. I mean, in each they have crazy mothers and they have a cat, for example. I mean, they have some, you know, uh, narrative elements that that uh, make a link between the two films. But there are two women who don't want to be victims, two women who want to, want to, to create a kind of new prototype of a woman uh, against all odds and against uh, predictable circumstances, even in things for, to come, you know, I mean, she's being left by her husband, and then she doesn't react the way you expect a woman to react in that in that situation. She all of a sudden discovers the joy of being non-dependent on anybody, and of anybody is no more dependent on her, which is a nice feeling. And each woman has a great sense of irony to what they go through. They, they have an apparent 
non-emotional, uh, I mean, a, a little bit more for things to come in the case of things to come, because, of course, he doesn't play on the same, uh, exactly the same game. But, uh, I mean, she, uh, but the way she's emotional is really special. She's never emotional the moment you expect her to be emotional, but only when she's alone. For instance, when I cry at the bus, you know, watching my husband walking with the new girl or whatever. So, um, so both of them don't want to be victims, that's for sure. It, it is an interesting story about a woman kind of, um, I, I don't know, maybe realizing some freedom uh, at, at a certain point mm-hmm. in her life. And I think that that's mm-hmm. really reflected in the filmmaking. Mia Hansen Love, uh, the director and writer, she's she's a very sort of fluid filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Everything feels mm-hmm. very natural. Mm-hmm. Was that a nice mode to work in? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, that's the way I, I, I like to act. So when I'm being given that, the possibility through the mise en scene, you know, the through the the scenes, dialogue, whatever it is, and yes, it's always a great pleasure. This is the only way I want to to act to make films. So, but sometimes it's more or less easy, you know. Yeah. So in both cases, yes, it was, and it's certainly that a kind of atmosphere that Neon Sandler knows how to create, and she likes, you know, so you so you don't really you don't feel like you have someone acting on screen, but because everything is fluid, everything flows. Yeah, and you know, one of your best co-stars is the cat. <laughs> was, That's right. I love that yeah. cat. Did you and the cat get along on set? Was it a good, a good working relationship? Oh, it was a very big cat, and it was so heavy. So yes, I love that cat. Of course, he <laughs> was a cat of, of a friend, of a mutual friend to me. And I mean, this cat was not a professional. The other cat is a professional. The cat in me, assume, is. Not a professional, right? There wasn't a trainer off screen, kind of telling it what to no, do. No, 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 no. Yeah. Only, only his uh, owner. Well, that's another part of the naturalness of the movie. That's right. Yeah. yeah, you've worked in a variety of films in France and in English language. Now that you've had this remarkable year, do you have any new ambitions or new genres you'd like to work in? I'm curious. I mean, because your profile has always been high, but it's especially high right now. I don't have any new ambition. Or- <laughs> no, I mean I just follow my line and follow, you know, you know it's always a, a nice uh, path between what you can expect and it, it, between dreams and reality. You know, realism, I would. So I was always, you know, curious to make things out of my country, but not only here, everywhere, and that this is what I will go on doing in everywhere. No specific plans to be in a superhero movie or anything like that, though. <laughs> Well, I don't think that you can have plan of that kind, you know, <laughs> right. actually. No, life is a bit more complex. So this podcast is, you know, about film, but it's also we cover the Academy Awards and that whole industry. Is that award season chatter, which, you know, certainly you've been part of this year and, and in years past, is that something you pay attention to at all? You can't really pay attention to it unless people pay attention to to it for you, you know, so right. we'll we'll see. L is a French entry for the award this year. Right. That's for sure. So right. it certainly casts a special light on the film. Yeah, and it's been one of the best reviewed films of the year. And you know, exactly. I'm very excited for yeah. people to see it. And I think Things to Come is so lovely too. And a really nice kind of advancement of a really exciting filmmaker's career, I think. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Absolutely. So yeah, it's been the year of Hubert. Okay, just say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Isabel, so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so it. much. You pensez peut-être pas vous Plus dangereuse, Michel, c'est tout de même toi.
So before we wrap things up, we want to go big before we go home. And uh, last week we talked about original screenplays. So let's talk about adapted screenplays. Let's continue to give attention to the writers because they need it. Yes, exactly. Know? It's we, not a writer's we, medium. We, but... we empathize with them here. Yeah. It's kind of a, as usual in the screenplay categories, a, a crazy mishmash of titles. Mm-hmm. Richard, what do you have your eye on? I think that the big one is Fences, which, yeah. you know, August Wilson, the late playwright, did his own adaptation of it. So that's a big one to watch out for. But again, nobody knows because no one's seen it. So yeah. Arrival, I think, is interesting. It's based on a short story called Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang. It's a really interesting screenplay because it's a sci-fi kind of big, not adventure exactly, but it's a thriller of sorts. But it has this really deep emotional undercurrent. And it has a, a twist at the end that is really surprising, I think. It's not really a plot twist, and it's more of a sort of emotional twist. It's, hmm. it's interesting. So I think that's a good movie that might get underserved elsewhere mm-hmm. in, in this year's awards. So I, I would be happy to see that. I think last week, Mike encouraged us to talk about original because it was the more interesting category. This is yeah. a weird lineup of movies. It like is. Interesting titles, yeah. but no screenplays that seem to be kind of like jumping out for recognition. This could right. obviously change. So Well, My Troll's screenplay is adapted, of course, yes. from My Troll's novel. So... <laughs> So, uh, based on the dolls a, right based, by yeah. hasbro yeah right Whoever well i mean i invented the dolls but then yeah god you're way too rich to be doing this podcast no, i know i don't know what i'm, what I'm doing here. so i'm looking at silence which is the big martin scorsese movie that we're waiting to see and it's adapted by jay cox who wrote gangs of new york his last script was d lovely the uh oh, wow. biopic wow. which is fascinating what a, what, a, what a strange career so that yeah. might be kind of the smart money in there but i yeah. uh, kind of wanted to give a shout out to love and friendship which uh oh, a movie yeah. that i caught kind of late but still adapted it from an unfinished jane austen novella so so it's kind of got really prestigious uh, bones. And it's this really like sharp, funny story. The performances, I think, are what sold it on people. Kate Beckinsale is really great. And, and then Tom Bennett is this kind of dopey suitor. But uh, right. the screenplay is it's sharp. It's classic Whit Stillman. And it'd be really interesting to see that make it. And it would there. be interesting to have Whit Stillman, his heyday was really kind of in the early 90s. And to have him kind of come back with something that is a little bit out of his wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like he has done the modern version of these kinds of comedies and manners. Now he's right. returning with like the classic costume version which you know is Oscar bait yeah. in the classic sense so uh, why not let's just say he wins the best adapted screenplay All right. Oscar All for right. Love and Friendship sure if it isn't Trolls then, then I win my Oscar <laughs> for Trolls I'll see you at the VF party with my Oscar in hand <laughs> That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you for listening. And please rate and review us on iTunes if you can. We appreciate it. We are all at Vanity Fair, including uh, Mike and Joanna, who have not gone anywhere. They'll be back. You can find us on Twitter as well. I'm at Katie Rich. Richard? Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And we're all at Little Gold Men. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best description of how we all feel right now, just before the election, goes to Katie Rich. It's all moving to the same infinity point. God help us all. It's delightful. It's delicious. It's delectable. It's delirious. It's the lemma. It's the limit. It's deluxe. It's delicious.